0: Welcome to Season 2 of the Medal of Honor Podcast. Your host is U.S. Armed Forces veteran Tiffany Martz-Chink. Tiffany retired after 24 years of honorable service in the Army most of which was on active duty but also served in the Army Reserves. In addition to serving in her military occupational specialty of religious affairs non-commissioned officer, she also served as an Army recruiter and a senior instructor for advanced individual training.
1: Well, hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Ann James. I'm originally from Columbus, Georgia, but I joined the military by way of California. I joined the Air Force in 1989 and I enlisted after following the footsteps of my brother. Uh, when I enlisted in the Air Force, I was a personnelist initially, but then after about 12 years of service, I decided to earn my commission and I became an officer via going through ROTC via the University of South Carolina. Once I joined the officer of rank, I became a finance officer and that, that led me into my love of teaching others about the importance of financial readiness and financial preparation. And that's what I'm doing right now as the founder of Financial Freedom Battle Baddies, where I consult and help other veterans, specifically women veterans, um, conquer the battle over their finances so that they can live life. And I'm retired after 21 years of service.
2: Jeff Moffatt, originally from Detroit, Michigan, retired from the U.S. Army in Augusta, Georgia where he was an instructor at the Fort Gordon Noncommissioned Officer Academy. His wife also served in the U.S. Army and retired as a warrant officer. Jeff is a telecommunications and network professional with over 30 years of experience and is currently serving SD's door of the church named the Historic Hosanna Missionary Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia.
3: My name is Lefford Fate, and I'm a retired American airman. I retired out of Shaw Air Force Base as the command chief of the 20th Fighter Wing. I had almost 31 years when I joined, when I left. I joined the Air Force at 17 years old uh, from a little place called Glenville, Georgia. And I had two thoughts in my mind. I was either going to do six years as my list initial enlistment, I was gonna go 33 years. That was the thought in my mind because I was using the first six years to just see, And I fell in love. I knew my first year in that I wanted to make it a career. Now, I'm not saying I did everything right, but I just knew that it was the place for me because I met so many people from all over the place that knew things and were doing things and just, I I just fell in love with the Air Force. Again, I stayed in for nearly 31 years. I started out as a security policeman, ended up as a medical person before I transitioned into the command chief role. Uh, Funny thing, as a security policeman, much of my military training was at the Fort Bullis's and the Fort Bliss, Fort Dix. I went to a lot of the training because back in the day, the Army protected the base out five yards, five miles past, and then base police handled the base or to a mile out. And so when they did that transition, they taught us to be forward, to take care of the whole base perimeter inside and out. So uh got a lot of Army training, sir.
4: No wonder you're such a good guy. No wonder you're such a good guy.
3: Well, <laughs> they'll probably never say this again in air force history back in 1992 there were too many military police there were a lot of things that were closing down and so i had an opportunity to cross train they they let some people out Mm -hmm. Uh, they gave people opportunities to cross train and since i was relatively young at that time they said you can you can pick something or we'll pick something for you and so I decided to go to this program we call Social Actions, Equal Opportunity Treatment, Human Relations, and Drug and Alcohol. So that was the direction that I meant that I went to. And a lot of that was because uh, I'm an adult child of an alcoholic, and I grew up with, uh, with people surrounded with addictions, both drug and alcohol. And I wanted to, one, understand and one, to do something to help uh, those people because my family is riddled with those issues. And then there was this person, Erica Kelly.
4: Um, Tiffany, thank you again for having us in your show. I am, uh, I served for 32 and a half years in the Air Force. And just like Lefford, I navigated, not through a lot of career fields, but at the beginning of my military career, I was what uh, we would call a ground medic. And I did that for about seven years before transferring over to AirVac. And in AirVac is where I found my passion to really taking care of people, to traveling, to being just part of a, I don't want to say a bigger mission because everybody has a specific uh, role. It was just something that I loved. And I did air vac until I became uh, or was um, part of the chief club or the E9 for other branches of the military. And that's what moved me to thinking that I could compete, that I could serve in a different capacity, which drove me to putting in for command chief position. And um, I was able to do that. And my last assignment was at the Pentagon with the Air Force Reserve Command as the command chief, but also as the senior enlisted advisor for the chief of the Air Force Reserve. So I, I kind of had two jobs in my last assignment. And now I own a business just like Leffer does. And both of us are speakers. Uh, We're both coaches and we are both trainers. Right now, I'm concentrating in um, communications, leadership, and diversity, equity, and inclusion classes.
5: This is where it's at.
4: Hello everybody, my name is
2: Stuart Scheller. I'm a former lieutenant colonel in the United States Marine Corps. I was an infantry officer for 17 years and I've done a lot of things, been on five deployments, been to Iraq, been to Afghanistan, served in many different capacities. And I jumped into the media spotlight when I challenged the Afghanistan withdrawal
4: and I'm excited to be on the Medal of Honor podcast. And over to you, Tiff.
5: My name is Major Scott Husing, retired United States Marine. You'll listen to the Medal of Honor Podcast, and I'm happy to be on as a guest. People ask me why I joined the Marine Corps often, and it's no secret at this stage that like many young, wayward high school students who are looking for something that they're not getting either at home or don't have a career path that that was me i was a horrible student in high school and i always challenge any listener or audience to beat my gpa which was a stellar 1.24 and i barely squeaked out of high school um and i got a phone call from a a good friend of mine and he says you got to come down here and and meet these guys. I said, what are you talking about? He says, I enlisted in the Marines. So it sounded appealing. And I went down to the recruiting office. Marines are standing in their uniforms with the medals and the office is painted in camouflage. And you know, Marines, they talk a really good game. I mean, they're great salesmen as recruiters, but Marines are not often accused of being shy creatures, especially in large groups. Very humble alone, but um, they started talking. And as a kid that Throughout my high school days, my, my first car was a motorcycle, and I used to fight and I drank underage and I'd run from the cops, I'd get caught by the cops. And then I had realized I'd been living this life of really high risk, um, even at a very young age. And when I talked to the Marine recruiters, I thought, man, there is no other group of bigger risk takers than the United States Marines. And I thought, this is a perfect fit. And I enlisted. And I went to boot camp in San Diego. I, I knew nothing about the Marine Corps uh, other than what I'd seen on TV and movies. But I did well. I, I excelled in boot camp and fought in Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and then decided that education is very important. And that's when I decided to hang up my rifle. I went to school at Illinois State And I was still a machine gunner in the reserves during my college. And I was in college for three years, did much, much better than I did in high school. And I, I say that because that's a testament to what the Marine Corps and what the military does for young men and women to give them that discipline to look at everything in life as a mission and how it is based off of merit and success of what you do and what you put into it. So I graduated in three years, and a young sergeant called me up and asked me if I wanted to possibly become an officer. And it was just a, again, it was kind of fate that Sergeant Connor called me. And I said, yes. I went down and I got commissioned. And then some 15 years later is where my story picks up in Echo and Ramadi. As I was thrust into the deadliest city in Iraq in in 2006. So that's why I joined the Marine Corps. Again, not a lot of, I wasn't college material at the time, back in 1988, 89, and I was uh, barely high school material, as I just admitted again. But it was one of the best decisions I'd ever made. And then after college, uh, getting my commission and still having the desire to lead. The desire to serve and give back uh, and share some of those hard lessons with with those I I was fortunate to lead was something I was very privileged to do, and I I I don't have any regrets for any of those decisions.
2: But no, I I say that kind of in in a joking way. Hindsight it's joking; at the time it was highly traumatic. But um. So I had actually been complaining on, on my ship, on my command for almost two years, right Right around two years. Um, I was having uh, random pains in my leg. Um, I was losing range of motion in my knee. Um, general just, just sore muscles, not, not having the, the strength that I once had. Um, and I was ignored the entire time. Um, to the point where I was almost brought up in charges for malingering, because I would go to medical. Medical would look at me and 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 say, say uh, that uh, um, uh, that there was nothing wrong with me. Um, at most, they would give me a bunch of Motrin, give me some ice, uh, tell me to elevate it, do the do the basic thing. Um, and like I said, that went on for about two years. Um, and then from there, um, I had taken the initiative to try to go to um, Medical on base, which you're not supposed to do. You're supposed to get special permission to do. Um, but I was able to to talk my way into it. You know, when I got to to that medical, um, and I was waiting for an MRI to be done, um, which unfortunately never got done. Um, I during this time my 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 contract was running out, and I decided that I wanted to reenlist. Um, I, I enjoyed my time in the military for the most part. Um, I, the duty station that I was chosen for was, was Japan. I'd always wanted to go to Japan. I went into medical on my ship and, and with my packet, um, and they just, you know, scribbled their name on it and handed it back to me. And I I even brought up my leg and I said, Hey, you know, what about, you know, what about what's going on, on, on my leg? You know, I, I, even brought up the base. I said, Hey, look, I'm, I'm on a waiting list to get an MRI on base I've been talking to you guys about this for, for a long time. What's the deal? And they're like, well, you know, we never found anything. So you're good to go. And what you're doing on base is what you're doing on base. Um, you know, if, if you want to wait for them, you could wait for them. But, you know, if your orders come up, you know, for you to leave, then, you know, you got to leave. Um, so that was pretty much it on my ship.
6: So I... I uh, had a friend in high school. I went to an all-girl Catholic high school, and she actually enlisted from high school into the Army, and I thought that it was so badass because especially being in a school like we were, it was not, it was a rarity for anyone to join the military. So I thought it was really cool. I did not do any research. I was like, Army, that's all I know and i was about to enlist and sign those papers but i was i was about 18. i chickened out and i I was like "I, i can't do this right now so i went to a community college and then i went to arizona state university specifically wanting an rotc program i did the rotc program and i was like what the heck let's just do it so that's what i did i didn't even I didn't do the research I was just like army that's it and unfortunately I got my last pick I, I was chemical officer with the branch detail of military intelligence so when it was time for me to switch over I did not I stayed chemical because I just had my daughter And I was in Germany, and it would have required me to come back to the States to do training at Fort Wachuca and I just, I was like, you know what, this is just not, this is bad timing. So, I declined it, and I stayed chemical. So, I never went over to MI, but I did work with MI. So, Mm -hmm. what does a chemical officer do? It's the weapons of mass destruction it's putting on that that mop gear that nobody likes to put on because it's too hot but it's all that training that nobody really thinks about that we have to prepare for for the just in case the chemical gas the cs chamber all that stuff um we trained for it because you just you we hear about it. Fortunately, we haven't been involved in it too much. But it's it's all that ugly training that nobody likes. You said that was your last choice. It was. Well, because back in in ninety nine, we didn't have a lot of choices. Because now, you know, it's so many choices are open to females. But then it was engineer, medical corps, military police, um, JAG. And I knew I didn't have the grades to go jag. So you know, we all, we got a handful, and, and chemical was my last choice. So
7: what was number one, two, and three on that list?
6: Medical corps the top. Medical corps, meta, um, military intelligence, and military police.
0: So <laughs> when you went into the military, was there a point in time? I mean, did you go in? wanting to do a 20 year career or did you go in just thinking i'm gonna do four years and then move
6: on yeah it definitely a career was definitely not on my radar i was just gonna try it out that's what my mentality was i wanted no commitment i even what was funny and sad is that i didn't have the grades to get a scholarship until the end and that's when they said well you could get a scholarship now." Um, but you'll have to stay another two years I was like screw that I don't want to stay here any longer than I have to I wanted to get out of college and so I didn't take it so um, yeah no commitment I paid my own way through school all that all that great stuff and so I when I met my husband it was my senior year he had already commissioned he was already a second lieutenant Gold bar recruiters, what they called them at the time. So when we got married, I um, I basically just, follow, I, I just took it one year at a time. I had no plan. I was really just clueless on what the military could provide for me. So every time he moved, I, of course I moved, every time he advanced in rank, I was like, okay. And so that's just how my career went until the last you know i don't know 5 6 years when i decided well maybe i do want i want company command maybe i want to be a lieutenant colonel maybe maybe i do want all these things and so it was kind of too late because i wasn't in the right mindset to push for it i was just so like ah whatever we'll figure it out so yeah i had no idea <laughs>
0: so um well, I'm Tabitha Bartley. I was born and raised in Lafayette, Indiana, and I now live in Monticello, Indiana, which is about 45 minutes from there. Um, I joined the Marine Corps in 2010. Um, what was kind of unique to my story is I actually had a 21st century scholarship so I could have gone to any public university in the state of Indiana for free essentially, and instead I decided to join the Marine Corps. I Never considered the military as an option in high school. I actually don't remember ever talking to a recruiter, but the Marine Corps called me one random afternoon and was like, Do you have time to talk? And I was like, Well, you caught me on a good day. I guess I'll come in and talk, but you know, there's no way I'm joining the Marine Corps. Lo and behold, uh, the recruiter and I instantly hit it off talking about the New York Yankees. I was a huge Yankees fan at that time. Bernie Williams was like my biggest hero. And we just talked about so much in the conversation, He had talked about one of the humanitarian missions he had gone on where multiple different branches had tried to get provisions into like a humanitarian relief effort and they weren't able to because every time they did shots were fired at them and it, they weren't trying to make it that type of a situation. And so they called in his unit of Marines and I'll preface this to say, I don't know if this is a true story or not, okay, <laughs> but he said, uh, because of our uniforms, we were able to get these provisions without any violence, without any gunshots, and he was like, and it was the symbolism and what they knew our uniforms represent, the evil globe, and anchor, and just all of that, and I was just kind of hooked at that moment um, for a number of reasons, but the biggest thing for the corps was the intangibles. It wasn't you know, the job, most every branch of service has the same jobs. They have the same rank structure, the same pay, and so it wasn't all of that. It was intangibles that the Marine Corps offered to me, but that's to say, I didn't talk to any other branch, so I don't know what their intangibles were. (laughs) But the recruiter, he just, he sold me on it, Um, and he sold me specifically on public affairs. And so I was unique also where I had to wait 11 months to even join or in the delayed entry program to ship off to boot camp because I wanted that specific job. And that was really important to me to have that job. It was kind of a dream job. And I had no idea that the military did it.
8: I'm Kim Campbell, and I decided that I wanted to be an Air Force fighter pilot when I was in the fifth grade. And... The reason that idea came about, I think, um, is, I don't know, maybe a bit ironic, but when I was in the fifth grade in 1986, I watched the Space Shuttle Challenger launch, and then 73 seconds later, watched the disaster that unfolded. And there was something to me that I connected with in that moment. Of realizing that those astronauts died doing something that they believed in something that was bigger than themselves, something that was more important than them. And after talking with my parents and trying to figure it out, you know, I realized that that was something that I wanted to do. I wanted to find that passion that I was so committed to that I would be willing to give my life for it. And I also love this idea of this thrill of flight. And I decided that Being a pilot and joining the Air Force and then going to the Air Force Academy was the path that I wanted to take. And from that moment on in fifth grade, that was everything I did now turned to that, turned to this idea of service and flight. And by the time I got to be about 16, instead of asking for a car or driver's lessons or anything like that for my 16th birthday, I asked for flying lessons instead And so I got the opportunity to fly uh, in a Cessna when I was 16. And I flew out of San Jose International Airport. And I just remember flying and um, being on the ground in this little tiny Cessna and then all these big commercial airliners behind me. And then finally, when I was 17, got getting to Solo for the first time. So flying in an airplane by myself for the first time. And I just realized how much I love to fly. I love the thrill of flight. I loved everything that went with it. Um, and then from that, that way forward, it was all about going to the Air Force Academy.
1: Um,
8: all about pursuing my dream of ideally becoming an astronaut someday, but with the, with the interim plan of being an Air Force fighter pilot. It's, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I can't... My kids are now of the age where they're talking about what they want to do in their life, and sometimes I look at the things that they're doing or the things that they're saying, and I they scare me in some ways because both of my children have an interest in joining the service, and I think about like what my parents thought when I told them that I wanted to be a fighter pilot, right? Like that I was going to go to the Air Force Academy. This was 1986. Women weren't actually allowed to be fighter pilots in 1986. They never told me that. Like I, just, I didn't know that that wasn't a thing. And my dad had gone to the Air Force Academy. He had been in the Air Force for five years. And he knew how hard the Academy was for him. And there weren't women there then. So he knew how hard it was going to be for me. And so I think there was part of him that was terrified by the idea that this is what I wanted to go do with my life. And yet he never said anything. He just realized once I said this was my goal, this is what I'm going to go out and do. He fully supported me in that and didn't tell me that women weren't actually allowed to do those things yet. So, um, you know, I think as a parent now, looking back at that and what my parents must have been thinking and going through. And now as a parent, I get to see it with my own children and think about, you know, what it means for them if they decide to serve and how, as a parent, how terrifying in many ways that can be. I think I really realized how difficult my my goal and or dream was going to be um, in high school because I was part of the debate team and we ended up doing a debate on women in combat. And that's when I started to realize that there were were restrictions. Um, There were restrictions on women and what women were allowed to do. Um, But I had really supportive mentors and teachers and coaches and parents around me that essentially said, look, if that's what you want to do, then go for it and don't let it stop you. Now, I graduated high school in 1993 and the ban on women uh, serving in combat roles in, in aviation and the Air Force was lifted. And so it wasn't anything that I had to worry about. But it still meant that when it came time for me to go into the flying community, there were very few women. Um, I walked into my fighter squadron on day one, and I was one of, I think, 43 female fighter pilots in the entire Air Force. So there were roughly about 3,000 to 3,500 fighter pilots in the Air Force at that time, but women only made up about 1%. And I was the only female pilot in my squadron. I personally put a lot of pressure on myself to do well. I don't think anybody else put pressure on me. I mean, we put we really put pressure on every fighter pilot. Every new pilot that walks into the squadron, there's pressure to perform and pressure to prove yourself, to be credible. For me, I put additional pressure on myself because I didn't want to ruin it for all the women that came after me, if I failed, or if I made mistakes. But that was pressure I put on myself. That isn't pressure that anybody said anything or put on me. That was just pressure I put on myself. And so I worked really hard. I worked really hard to be good at what I was doing. I wanted to prove that I was credible. You know, and that, quite honestly, that paid off, because I was able to prove that I was credible very early in my career in combat.
7: Tiffany, thank you so much for having me on your show. I really like the metal of honor that my life has been characterized by By metal from uh, the time I was a kid up to when I retired from the Coast Guard. And starting when I was a child, I got interested in military service by chance. And I think that's an important theme in my life. Not everything was scripted, goal that I had. I took advantage of opportunities as they came. In 1976, uh, when I was a junior in high school, the service academies all opened their doors to women. And it was by an act of uh, Congress because they'd only been men up until then. So, as a junior in high school, I was right in the middle of college applications, and a neighbor walked over. And dropped off an article from the Baltimore Sun that talked about how the Naval Academy was going to admit women.
1: And it gave a whole story on the Naval Academy. And I read that with great interest, thinking about, wow.